0: Well, hey good morning and uh, after that video if i could invite you to open your bibles and hide your wallets please um because we are talking about money today um i'm actually just kidding we're not talking about money at all and uh want to break uh that tension there but thankful for uh, jen and her her testimony of of faithfulness and god breaking down a stronghold and the reason we wanted to show that video is because we're in a series called breaking down strongholds so if you have your bibles open them up to judges chapter six we're going to be in the book of Judges. Judges is early in the Bible. Um, it is an Old Testament book, and it's just talking about God's faithfulness with the nation of Israel. And, and again, we are in a series called Breaking Down Strongholds. And um, the the point of this series, just so we're all on the same page, we are asking the difficult questions as a church and individually in this series. What are the things in my life? That are in my heart that are unhealthy that is causing damage in my relationship with god and in my relationship with others what what are the strongholds that that i hold on to that i'm not willing to yield to repent of or or, or to give trust to god and and we want to grow we want to grow in our relationship with christ and for that to happen we need to allow god to break these strongholds down and uh, we are going to this morning we're going to be looking at the stronghold of self-reliance we're going to be looking at the stronghold of self-reliance and um i want to be honest with you this morning I, i would say um this morning is very very raw for me um i'm i am somewhere between um absolutely being leveled by god's word this week and and somewhere between preaching to myself. And here's what I mean by that. I would say out of all of the strongholds that, that we're going to look at, that we have the past few weeks and we'll look at for the next 10 or so weeks, if you want to know, hey Cal, what, what's your stronghold? It's this one. It is the stronghold of self-reliance. Like this is the one where, where I would say over the past 18 months, god has pressed in on my heart in this areas in ways that i didn't even know were possible this has been a hugely convicting uh passage for me and um and i hope it's a blessing to you and, and and it's a good thing for the lord to convict and the lord to break down and and here's what i would say um i have always prided myself on being wise on being smart on having a plan and um being able to lead with wisdom. And I would say that COVID has really thrown a wrench in that for a lot of people. The world changed on all of us about 12 or 13 or 14 months ago. And I wanna tell you a story and it's interesting. Um, about 18 months ago, I was contacted by a company called Vander and that's probably a name that most of you don't know it's a it's the biggest christian consulting firm in the country it's called vanderbloom they work with churches all over the country they help place people if you want to get placed they help uh counsel. they help you know they're, they're a, a organization that helps strengthen and build churches and i got an email that said hey cal we're doing uh we're coming out with a new book and we've asked a certain group of pastors to write a paragraph excerpt that we wanna feature in our book. We're talking about trends we see in America. We we wanna use you. Can you write a paragraph? Tell us what you think about this thing. And and then afterwards, um, give us your name, your age, and the size of the congregation that you lead. And so I was like, well, I, I haven't really worked with these guys at all, but they're asking to help, so I'll help. So I wrote my paragraph, sent in my name, Uh, how old I was. I was, I think, 33 at the time, and uh, the the size of our church, and I'm like, I don't even know if they'll use that. I don't expect to hear back from them, but I can do the right thing. I can be helpful. It's fine, and about three days later, they contacted me, and they said, hey, we got your response. Thank you so much for helping, and they said, hey, we just want to let you know, we've went through our national database, and there is no one who is your age or younger leading a church as big or larger than yours. And here's what I would say. Now, I know it's God that builds his church, and I believe that. And he uses you, and he uses me, and he uses our faithfulness to do great things. I've never once taken credit for harvest in any way, shape, or form. But in that moment, like I'm going to be honest, that felt kind of nice to hear. Like, there's one was like, wow, that, that, that sounds pretty good. I must be knowing what's going on. I must be doing a decent job. God must be blessing my work. And there was a the thing where, like, that fed my flesh a little bit. And then about three weeks later, there was this word of this virus that was growing in China and spreading across Europe. And I would say that the next, I don't know, 12 to 18 months has been a really, really hard season, Um for me as a person and as a leader. We had to shut down for for many, many, many weeks. So it's like I went from, man, leading a a, a church to feeling like I'm not leading a church at all and it's all online. And um, I don't know if you realize this, people got a little worked up around elections in our country. Did you guys kind of pick up on that? And people were angry at things we were saying or stances we were taking and you should be closed or you shouldn't be closed. And there was a lot of tension and turmoil. Then we reopen and there's size restrictions and capacity. Limits and it's like, man, I can't even see like what to do. Um, We lost a pastor this past year because of a moral failing. I've never had to walk through anything that difficult before, and and there were so many times that you were like, "I'm a failure. I can't do this. I don't know how to move forward." Like, and, and I realized, like I've told Mary before. I think God might have created COVID just to grab a hold of my heart. Like if you're looking for someone to blame COVID on, you you can blame me because what God has done through this season, and it's a good thing, he is tearing down in me this stronghold of self-reliance. And there's been so many times when I've had to be honest and pray to God, be like, God, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what the next best thing to do is but help me trust you and help me follow you and just help me to be committed to do what's right and trust that you're going to provide. John fifteen five, Jesus says this. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, Jesus says we can do nothing. And self-reliance is believing the lie that, no, there are things that we can accomplish outside of Jesus' grace and mercy and help. Self-reliance is saying, like, listen, um, Jesus, I need you for the last 20%. I need you to go above and beyond my strength, but the first 80%, I'll take care of it and I'm smart enough, and I'm strong enough, and I'm disciplined enough, and I make good decisions, and I will handle it all. Can you just like come around the edges and and maybe help a little where you see fit? And so here's the big idea this morning, and this is what I I want us to look at, it's this. It's that Christians often pass the test of adversity, yet fail the test of prosperity. Christians often pass the test of adversity but we fail the test of prosperity. And and here's what I mean. One of the things I love being about a pastor is that I have so often get the front row seat into seeing Christians respond in awful situations in, in a way that can only be described as miraculous and empowered by God himself. I have sat with families who have gotten terminal health diagnoses and their response is, I'm gonna have joy in the Lord and I, I, I'm going to be at peace, and I'm not going to run, and I'm not going to cower in fear, but as long as the Lord gives me, I'm going to worship him, and I'm going to use this as a testimony to others of his goodness. I have seen families who have had their children tragically pass away, and the response has been, my heart is ripped out, but God is the healer. And he will heal these wounds. He, he, he will heal our broken hearts. And he will be faithful. And he will be with us when we have no strength. And we are going to worship the Lord as we mourn the death of a child. So often... I see in the hearts of the people of this church that when there's nowhere else to go, our eyes go vertical. We look to God and we are filled with faith and strength. And it's a testimony to you and to our church and it's cool to see. Our problem though is is as soon as things settle down, as soon as things are good, as soon as the storm clears and we're just back in the normal rhythm of life, you guys feel this, right? It's easy just to start relying on your own strength again. And we're not as desperate for God when when we don't need God to solve a major issue in our life. And we go back to working in our own power, working in our own strength, doing it our own way. and, And we live in this routine where the storm hits, we look to God, things settle, and we go at it on our own. And that is a stronghold that the Lord would desire to break in our hearts. So before we jump into the text, let's do this. Can I help you identify three hallmarks of a self reliant person? They're all right here. Throw up the next slide. It's this, um, doesn't pray. A a self-reliant person doesn't pray. You know, it's interesting in the New Testament when Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, he says, uh, pray like this. And then he asks the Lord, God, give us this day our daily bread. All right, what's he trying to teach the disciples there? He's trying to say, listen, every day there has to be a complete reliance on God for what you need. Every day, give us this day our daily bread. Like, I need you today to provide for my needs, or I don't have anything. But self-reliant people, we believe we don't need God to be okay, so the first thing that happens is we stop to pray. Like, we start, sorry, we don't stop to pray, we stop praying. And I've got this, and I'm good, and I'll figure out my issues, and prayer might become a last resort, but there is not a prayer life in our hearts that is this deep dependence for God every day in every situation. Can I ask you a question? How's your prayer life? How'd it go this week? Have you been dependent on the Lord in prayer? Have you been seeking him for wisdom and strength and grace? Or has that been something that's been pushed to the side and neglected? And if that's you, that might be be saying probably is saying that you are a self-reliant person. Here's the next one. Um, is quick to take both credit and blame. A self-reliant person is quick to own all of the responsibility, good or bad. Right, right? Like if things are going great, like like have you ever wanted man, when, when things are going well, I hope people realize that the, it's me at, at the bottom of it. But, like, I hope I get credit for success, and and I want people to see that I'm doing great, and and I want people to say, wow, 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 you know, you've done a great job. And then the opposite is true. When things go bad, we're way too hard on ourselves because we think it's all dependent on us. I've had so many conversations with parents um, who have teens who have become rebellious or have walked away from the Lord and the faith, and what they do is, is, like, they're just beating themselves up. And they're like, we thought we did everything right, but maybe I should have done this more, and maybe I should have done that more, and, and, and I can't believe I missed this, and just so hard on themselves. And I have to remind them, I'm like, listen, the Lord loves your kid more than you do, and ultimately the Lord is the one guiding and shepherding your child's heart. This isn't all on you. You don't get to own all of the blame for other people's sinful choices, but we want all the credit or we'll take all the blame because we believe we own all the responsibility. And then here's the third one, Um, they're easily inconvenienced. Self-reliant people tend to be the people that kind of, I have my plan. This is what it's going to look like. This is how my day is going to go. And, and whether it's other people or even the Lord, when, when plans change, when, when, when a crisis hits or, or when you're asked to do something that's not part of your preconceived idea for how your week or your day or your month would go, you get frustrated. Oh man, I can't believe I've got to leave my thing to go do this thing. there's a sense where we are easily inconvenienced we are very focused on our plan and our idea and we don't look to see how can i love and serve and be a blessing to others and so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to do a flyby of the story of gideon and and i think and and i know god will through his word teach us a lot about how god views our weaknesses and our strengths look at judges six starting at verse one and two Judges 6, starting at verse 1 and 2, it says this, it says the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord gave them to the hand of Midian for seven years and the hand of Midian overpowered Israel and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. Isn't it interesting that the word stronghold is even used in this passage? So here's what's going on. The people of Israel, they've been entered the promised land. Joshua has led them in. They've defeated many of the Canaanite armies. But once they get in the promised land, their hearts turn away from God. And they start worshiping and serving idols. So to bring judgment on the nation of Israel and to call them back to himself, God rises up these Midian armies. And the Midianites, they were kind of a traveling, marauding group of people. And they were great soldiers. And they come in and they, for seven years just decimate israel and it's so bad that the people of israel in their own land they've got to live in hiding and they're living in caves they're living in mountains they're building up for themselves strongholds like they are so scared and overpowered by this midian army that they are just living in the mountains okay there's a couple problems with living in the mountains can you think of them here's a question are are, are the mountains the best farmland no, not, not great, right? And in an agricultural community, when you can't live in the prairies or by the water, um, it's hard to provide food for yourself. So this beautiful land flowing with milk and honey, the Israelites are barely surviving. They're starving because this Midianite people have driven them from their homes. They're literally hiding out in caves. Jump down to verse 11. It says this, It says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Aphra, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And this idea of beating out wheat in the winepress, what that means is um, things were so scarce and the people were so scared that they were growing wheat and trying to harvest it out of season. Because they were worried that the Midianites would see them and they would steal their, their crops and, and their plants. So, so Gideon is hiding, growing wheat or trying to beat wheat outside of season, just living on the scraps of the land. But look what he's called in verse 12. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Here's the first thing we see in this text. God is not afraid of your weakness. Do you know that? God is not afraid of your weakness. I think it's so funny that the angel calls Gideon a mighty man of valor because in every conceivable way, he's the exact opposite. Here's a man hiding in a cave working out of season because he is so terrified of the Midianites. He is a person in captivity in his own land. He is defeated. He is cowarding. He is hiding. He is not strong in any conceivable fashion. And the interesting thing is, is Gideon wasn't just weak physically or emotionally. Gideon was weak spiritually. And in the rest of chapter 6, God says, hey, Gideon, I'm going to bring you up. And you're going to defeat this Midian army. And you know what Gideon says? He says, I don't believe you. I don't trust that you will do that. And he goes, in fact, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to put you to the test, God. And if you are really calling me to do this, I'm going to take a fleece and I'm going to lay it outside overnight. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to make the fleece soaking wet, but I want you to leave the ground all around it dry. I want you to do a miracle. And then you'll prove to me that that, that I'm the guy. So God's like, okay. So Gideon does that. He lays out the fleece. It soaks it with water, but there is no water anywhere around it. God does what he asks. Do you know what Gideon says then? I still don't believe you. Like, I'm not, um, you know, the most brilliant guy, but but if that were happened the first time, I don't think I'd have the courage to go back to God and say, no, do it again. But that's exactly what Gideon does. He's like, now what I want you to do is I'm going to put this same fleece out. You keep it completely dry, but soak the ground around it. And God does it again. So so Gideon, he's weak physically, he's weak emotionally, he's also weak spiritually. He doesn't want to trust the Lord. He doesn't believe him. He makes God perform two miracles just to have the courage to, to answer God's calling of his life. We have a man who is marked by fear, who is weak in his faith, and God is saying, you are the one I'm going to use, Gideon. And, you know, it's interesting, if we were to, to study the book of Judges, the whole book of Judges is God using the weaknesses of Israel to love them and protect them and serve them and strengthen them despite their weaknesses. You know, Gideon, a weak judge, another judge that God used was a woman named Deborah. And that was completely countercultural in that time, that a woman would be the leader of the nation of Israel. But God's saying, listen, even in your perceived weakness, I am going to do great, incredible, strong things. You've got a guy named Samson who had very, very real weaknesses. He lacked self-control. He would fly off the handle. He, he could not control his desires and his rage. But God used those weaknesses to to, to crush a Philistine army. Um, My favorite judge um, in Judges 3.31, if you have your Bibles open, go back to Judges 3. It says this. It says, After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. Like, that's my favorite judge. He only gets one verse, and the verse is nuts. You just have this guy who just killed 600 people with an ox code, and that's all that we hear. And what what God is communicating to us is he is taking normal people and doing incredible things, even when we feel weak. Second Corinthians twelve, nine and ten, Paul writes this. He goes, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, and I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. See what Paul's saying there? He's saying, listen, listen, God uses our weaknesses to show his strength and to build him up. And Paul's like, listen, I'm content with being lied about, with calamities, with persecutions, with being mistreated, because it's in those moments when I am weak that the spirit of God is shown to be enough and shown to be powerful, and I can see God move, so I will boast in my weaknesses. Right? Isn't that the exact opposite of what we do? aren't we so scared of our weaknesses that we'll do anything to hide them? Right? Like you've come to church this morning, and, and I would imagine if you said hi to anyone in the cafe or in the foyer or when you sat down, here's how the conversation went. Hey, Randy, how you doing? I'm doing good. Right? That's like standard, right? Everything's good. I'm, I'm strong. There's no issues. Everything's good. Nothing to worry about. Like we're so good at hiding our weaknesses That if I were to go to John and be like, hey, John, how are you doing? And his response was, I'm really not doing well. It would be like, oh, things are really bad if he's willing to admit it, right? Like we are so accustomed to hiding weaknesses. And what Paul is saying is, listen, let's boast in the areas where we're weak in our faith. Let's talk about how man, my marriage is not in a great place right now, but I'm trusting God. I'm trying to honor him and he's going to prove himself faithful. Man, my kids are a disaster right now, but God is showing up and he's giving me the strength even when I want to give up. He goes, let's create this culture of being okay with being weak because it's never been about our strength, but it's been about the God who we serve using us despite of our weaknesses. There's freedom in that church, if we would just believe it. Here's the second thing we're going to see in this text. And this is really, really interesting. It's this. It's that God will intentionally weaken those he uses. God will intentionally weaken those he uses. Look at Judges 7, verse 1. It says, Then Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all of the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. So Gideon finally decides, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll... do what you say, God. I'm going, to, I'm going to come and we'll fight against the Midianites. So what Gideon does is he does the exact, logical, smart thing to do. He gathers an army. He gathers a group of guys. Hey, I'm going to build an army. We're, we're, we're going to fight. And the number of the army is 32,000 men. And I would imagine when people are hiding out and living in caves, it would not have been easy to gather that many men. But Gideon's trying to be a leader. He's trying to be smart. He's trying to to be assertive. All right, God, you've called me to do this. Let me rally the troops. Let me build up our strength, and then we'll go take on the Midianites. But look at verse 2. But the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. See what happens there? God says, hey, you have too many people, Gideon. And do me a favor. If you're the kind of person who takes notes in your Bible, can, can you underline or circle the phrase, lest Israel boast over me, saying my own hand has saved me? Do you see what God is saying here? He's like, no, 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 Gideon, it's too many people that that if you win, Israel's going to think it was because of their strength and their might and their valor, and they will actually boast over me saying, we are strong, we are the ones who got the victory, they won't worship me as a result. I think this is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible in regards to understanding God's perspective over our lives. You see when we have success and when things are good when we take the credit it's not just a statement about us is it it's actually a statement about what we believe about God and here's the best way i can describe this um my son bo who's 7 years old he actually turns 8 on wednesday He loves sports more than anything. And the only thing he ever wants to do when we get home is he either wants to play sports on video games with me or he wants to actually play sports. And so every day, hey, dad, can we play soccer? Dad, can we shoot hoops? And he's gotten into basketball and he wants to play basketball. We've got a basketball hoop at the edge of our driveway and we shoot hoops together. And it's not enough just to like work as a team or practice together. We have to play against each other. He's super competitive, so I've got to play against Bo. And um, here's the reality. Bo's a seven-year-old kid, and I'm a grown man, right? So, like, if I wanted to, I could absolutely smother him. I could dunk every time, I could block every shot, and I could just pummel the kid. But that wouldn't be very fun for Bo, and if I need to do that for my own psyche, I've got bigger problems than just basketball, right? So guess what I do when we play? I let him get shots off and and, and I let him score and I let him steal it from me and we make it close and competitive, but I could win at any given point. Okay, here's the problem with my son though. I'll be playing, my son, I'll let him shoot a three pointer, he'll make it, and this is his response. He'll go, Wow, Dad, you play garbage defense. Like, he'll say that. And I'm like, You wanna see garbage defense, son? Like, I'll show you garbage defense. And I think this is such a picture of us before God. Like, Bo is only doing on the basketball court what I am allowing him to do. And then he makes a shot and he wants to throw it in my face. Isn't that exactly what we do when we take the credit for the good things in our lives? Like, think about it. Who gave us our intellect? Who gave us our talent? Who gave us our work ethic? Who has placed us in the positions we are with the opportunities we have? And when we want to take the credit for the blessing in our lives, it's us saying, hey, God, I don't need you. In fact, God, I've got this on my own. I'm pretty stinking great myself. How about you just sit on the sidelines? I've got this covered. It's too many men. Israel's going to boast over me. God intentionally weakened Gideon's army. And then he did it again. Look at verse 4. It said, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you shall go with you. And anyone whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps. Weird, right? You shall set them by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was three hundred men, but all the rest of the people knelt down to drink the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the three hundred men who lapped, I will, save, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all of the others, every man, go to his home. So the people took the provisions in their hands and their trumpets and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man, to his tent, but retained the three hundred men and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So here's what God did. He reduced Gideon's army of 32,000 men to 300 weirdos who drink water like dogs. Like, he left him the weirdos. And and, and here's the thing, like, I am one of those people, I wonder if Gideon was like this. I really struggle with mouth noises when people eat. Anyone else, like, there with me? Am, Am I crazy? Okay, good. There's some of you who, like, are very, like, know how I feel. Like, I promise you, if I'm ever out to dinner with you and you start lapping your water like a dog, like, I'm probably leaving. Um, I really, really struggle with it. But God's like, okay, this crew of weirdos who drink water like dogs, this is all I need, and you're going to defeat this massive army. God is going out of his way to reduce Gideon's army. And in church, you need to understand this. God intentionally weakened the army of Gideon. And because he loves you, he's going to do the exact same to you. Do you know that? God, because he loves you, will intentionally reduce the size of your army. And for you, that might be a health issue. And he will take your physical strength away for a time or for a season or for maybe even longer. It might be a financial issue. You might lose your job, finances might get difficult. It might be that your reputation will get tarnished. It might be that people will lie about you, that you will get slandered. It might be that there will be times where you feel really, really lonely. It might be a relational issue. A kid might go rogue, a marriage might crumble. You might fall on really, really hard times. And here's what I want you to hear, church. God does not delight in wounding us. He doesn't. In fact, Lamentations three thirty-one through 33 says this. He says, for no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring grief or affliction to anyone. Okay, but here's what God knows. God knows that the absolute best thing for our hearts is for us to grow in our trust and faith in God. The thing that you need more than anything else in your life is to grow more and more dependent and grow in faith in God. And so guess what he's going to do? He's going to bring us to moments of weakness to remind us that in our strength we have nothing and the only thing we can rely on is God. And he's not doing it because he hates us or because he's out on us. He's doing it because he loves us. God wants us to grow in faith, and He will do that by reducing our strength so we can watch Him do something bigger than we could do on our own. And what I would say, church, is we need to start viewing the difficult circumstances in our life differently. Right, So often when adversity hits, it's easy to go, woe is me, this isn't right, this isn't fair, this shouldn't be happening. Where is God in this? And what I would encourage you is is maybe God is at the center of this and he is intentionally weakening weakening you because he is getting ready to do something incredible in you, but he wants to do it in a way where he will get all the glory and he won't spiral you further into self-reliance by making you believe that it's all because you're great. He loves us so much, he will intentionally weaken us. Third thing we see is that God moves through humble obedience. God moves through humble obedience. Look at verse 9. It says, That same night the Lord said to him, Arise and go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. Ten's funny. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura your servant, and you shall hear what they say and then afterwards your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. And so he went down with Pura. Here's what that means. My man Gideon's still scared, right? God's like, "Go down, but if you're scared, bring your servant." And Gideon's like, "I'm bringing my servant." Um, and they went to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. Look at verse 12. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their campbells were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. So a couple of things you need to see here. The Midianite army is huge. Even Gideon's 32,000 men don't have a chance against this crew, which is why 22,000 of them ran the second they had the chance. Like, this is a massive army. The odds are stacked against Gideon. The second thing you need to see, what God is asking Gideon to do is scary. He's saying, I just want you and your friend to sneak into this great camp, the enemy camp that's looking to destroy you. But look at verse 13. It says, when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came against the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down so the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, There is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all of the camp. Okay, so this is an incredible story. Gideon and Purah, they're sneaking around this camp, and they overhear two Midianite soldiers talking. And I think this is so funny. This has to be God's sense of humor. The Midianite's like, hey, I had a dream where a roll of barley or a cake of barley rolled into our camp and flattened it. And the comrade's like, that's going to be Gideon. God's going to use him to destroy us. Isn't it funny that God chose to describe Gideon in that dream as a cake of bread? Right? It's not the boulder of Gideon. It's not the sword of Gideon. It's not the flaming arrow of Gideon's going to destroy the Midianites. He's a cake. <laughs> like, if I'm Gideon in that moment, I'm like, thanks, I, I appreciate that. Like, are you saying something about my figure or what, God? Like, what, what, what's going on? But, like, there's this sense where, where what God's doing here is so cool. You see, he's using the enemy to tell Gideon, it's going to be okay. I've got this. I'm with you. I'm going to keep my promises, and even the enemy who is so strong knows that they can't stand against the Lord or against you. And I just think it's so cool and kind that in the middle of Gideon's fear and his wavering faith, and in the difficult season, God draws near and he encourages it's going to be okay. I'm with you, I'm faithful. If you're here and you're in a spot where, like, I don't know what to do, here's what I would encourage you. Get near the family of God. Like, I know there's been so many times where other people in the church have been that voice of the Lord. Cal, it's going to be okay. Cal, you are loved. You're going to get through it. But when we isolate ourselves, we're, we're cutting ourselves off from That. God never asks us to fully understand the plan. He never asks us to have everything figured out on our own. He asks us to be faithful to him and walk in obedience and trust that the good shepherd will make our paths straight. So can I ask you a question? If you're here and you're in a place where you're like, I don't know what to do, what's the next step of obedience that God is calling you towards? Like, what is that next thing? Maybe for some of you, it's, it's time to join a small group you know you should you've been putting it off but you need help and you need community and you need to be in a in a group of people who love one another and are encouraging one another in their faith maybe that's the next step maybe the next step is pursue serving or pursue membership and really plug in and be a part of this community of faith maybe it's like Jen in the video maybe the next step is I'm going to start trusting the Lord with my finances Right? I think one of the areas of self-reliance that we all struggle with is in the area of finances. And you know what? I'm just going to do what honors the Lord, and I'm trusting that he is going to prove himself faithful. Look at verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp, and at the beginning of the middle watch, when they had just set the watch, they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew trumpets and broke jars, they held their hands in the torches and in their right hands and in the trumpets to blow, and they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And every man stood in his place around the camp, and all of the army ran, and they cried out and they fled. And when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. So many of you know how this story ends, but what Gideon and his men do is they surround the camp of Midian. They don't bring a sword, they don't bring an arrow, arrow, they bring a jar and a trumpet. And at the same time, they crash. The, the, the jars, which sounds like clanging armor. They blow the trumpets. And, and back then, every trumpet would represent a, a squadron of soldiers. So the Midianites, they're woken up from their sleep. They see themselves surrounded. They hear jars crashing. They believe they're under attack. The, the, the horns are blown. And it says that the Midianites, they turn on each other and they wipe each other out. Gideon doesn't lose a man. They don't even have to fight. The Lord makes a way and destroys the insurmountable army. And what we see is is all God was asking Gideon and the Israelites to do was obey and be faithful and have courage and do what God was asking them to do. And God made a way. God moves through faithful obedience. Where is God calling you to take that next step Of obedience today. So here's a question for you. Do you guys know how the story of Gideon ends? Like, that's a pretty climactic moment, and if I were making a movie of the story of Gideon, that's where the story of Gideon would end. Like, like it's closing credits, awesome movie, everyone gives a standing ovation. The problem is, is the story of Gideon doesn't end that clean, and uh, you can read about it on your own this week in Judges chapter 8 if you want, but what happens is, is Israel goes into a time of peace, and the army is gone, and the crisis is over, and guess what Gideon does? He creates an idol, and he puts it in his hometown, and what Judges 8 says, the people of the people of Israel commit adultery against God in Gideon's hometown because he erects an idol, and they worship it. And so just like the big idea, you see, Gideon could pass the test of adversity. But his problem was, is when things calmed down, he couldn't pass the test of prosperity or success. And the last thing I want you to see is is that we have to remain diligent in the good seasons. We have to remain diligent in the good seasons. I have more concern for the heart of the guy who is crushing it in business and everything is going exactly to his five-year, 10-year, 15-year plan than I do for the guy who just lost his job and can't seem to find where due north is. I have fear for the person who is a success in every area of life because there is such a great temptation to boast in our own strengths. I have more concern For the mom whose kids are crushing it and she's killing it in her side hustle and she has friends and everyone looks up to her and everything's going her way than I do for the one who feels isolated and alone and doesn't know where to go and doesn't know what God's calling on her life is but needs to trust the Lord to provide her strength every single day. Gideon obeyed in adversity his heart grew cold in prosperity. And that's a real fear and that's a real warning for all of us. So here's how I want to close. It's very, very simple. Um, How do we combat a self-reliant heart? How do we foster a heart that is desperate for God, not only in the storm, but in the calm? And and, and I want to close with these three thoughts that I hope is helpful to you. Three ways to combat a self-reliant heart. Here's the first. You need to ask for strength. You need to ask for strength. And I would say the first two of these are, um, are vertical. though The last one is horizontal. And here's what I mean. Acknowledge where strength comes from. I know from my heart, when I am in a good place with the Lord, I have a routine where I wake up and in the morning, the first thing I do, before I check my email, before I check my phone, but before I engage in the things that God has called me to, guess what I'm doing? I'm praying and I'm saying, God, I need your help today. God, I need your wisdom. And I'm praying through my day in these meetings, in this conflict, in this sermon planning meeting, as I study, God, give me wisdom, give me strength, give me help. I need you. It's reflecting what Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. We have to build in our hearts a routine of asking for help here's the next one cultivate a thankful heart cultivate a heart of thankfulness and what i mean by that is give god the credit he's due so if we begin the day by asking for strength let us end the day by thanking god for what he's done for us that day like can i get super practical put two reminders in your phone one for eight o'clock in the morning one for eight o'clock at night eight o'clock in the morning we're going to pray together and we're going to ask for strength and help and wisdom that God would go with us and at eight o'clock at night we're going to reflect back on our day and say God you were good you were faithful you were present thank you for being good you've got to remove the self-reliance with something and that's a heart of thankfulness and then the third is and this one I think is very very logical um, don't go at it alone If self-reliance is your thing, the worst thing you can do is be like, all right, I'm going to create this system where I'm not going to be self-reliant anymore, right? That's counterintuitive. It's counterproductive. Here's what I would say. If you're a self-reliant person, open yourself up to others. Ask people to speak into your life. Tell someone, man, I really struggle with being self-reliant. Would you hold me accountable in that? Next time we see each other, can you ask me how that's going? Will you walk alongside me and help encourage me in this? We've got to do what Paul says and be okay with boasting in our weaknesses because it's in those things where others can see, man, God is humbling, God is moving, and God is strengthening. I think this stronghold is one that a lot of us hold on to because it's not one of the major sins we think of when we think of the sins against God, but it is, it's boasting over him. So here's what I'd ask you to do. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes? And the lights are gonna go down here in a moment, but I just wanna um, give you a moment right now. Would you pray to the Lord in the quietness of this moment and simply ask him for help? We need to be a church that is not built on our strength or our service or our faithfulness but it's built on the lord jesus said i am the vine you are the branches whoever abides in me i abide in him whoever is apart from me he can do nothing would we believe that would we have the humility to admit to god even right now god i can't do anything without you i'm not strong enough i'm not smart enough i'm not disciplined enough God, I need you to show up in my life or in my relationships. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, this church. I thank you for the story of Gideon. And God, I just pray that um, you would even use me, a, a person full of weaknesses, that your spirit would use my words to pierce hearts that um, hearts might even be transformed this morning as we humbly come to you and admit that we need you, that you are good, that you're faithful. May we see the things you're doing in our life as an act of love, that when you weaken us, you're doing it because you love us and you're engaging with us and and pressing in that we might have victory in you. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.